When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark is driving the station wagon today. Hope you're all right. Get us dialed up. Plenty to get into. Alternative uniforms. Yay, right? Awesome video. Incredible video. Tribute to our men and women that serve. Love it. Absolutely. But uh, the all-white thing, call me paranoid, from 1992 in Ames. We'll get there. We'll talk a little bit about the sellout streak extending. Thank you to two donors. How do you feel about that as a Nebraska fan? And uh, also uh, some thoughts on Nebraska moving forward. We'll hear from Coach Lubick, uh, some, some clarification. And quite honestly, if we're, if we're just going to go off of 2021 right now, when it comes to, to Coach Frost speaking versus some other members of his staff, maybe Coach Frost can just put some bullet points together and have, I don't know, Lubick or, or Chenander. Or this is what Scott would say, and this is how we would want Scott to say it. Maybe we, maybe we have some more delegation. Maybe there's a collaborative meeting on having a unified message. Numbers to dial up, get in at 466-3776-800-825-5865. Can find us on Twitter, give us a follow. Schmidt underscore radio, Chris Schmidt at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal uh, is uh, where you go there. And uh, Connor Clark, uh, Connor, give us your Twitter, brother, real quick. Mike needs to be on. There we go. C underscore Clark underscore 27. Thank okay, you. there we go. So there there are the follows to have happen. And uh, again, email Chris at HaleVarsity.com. On the show, Jacob Padilla, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine with us in about 20 minutes. In hour two, we'll effort Mitch Sherman and uh, see if Mitch can join us. And then uh, it's another Tuesday with Kaz, and we'll get to the nitty-gritty with uh, Kaz when it comes to what he saw on Saturday against the Illini, the sellout streak, all that good stuff. So here is uh, what you need to know with the sellout streak. Donors stepping up, remaining tickets to Saturday's game uh, scooped up, and you have the sellout streak that continues on our way to 376. So two donors purchased the remaining seats for Nebraska v. Fordham. And uh, that is good news if you're a fan of the sellout streak. That's good news if you're Nebraska on the recruiting trail touting your sellout streak, your consecutive, your ongoing record of sellouts. 
And according to the university's release, two generous donors came forward and purchased the remaining seats. Now, uh, I need to know who the donors are. That'd be really cool. But specifically what Nebraska is doing with these with these seats is is really special. I think it's really awesome. Uh, it's going to be the red carpet experience, and it's going to provide complimentary tickets to underserved youth across the state uh, of Nebraska. So think about that, right? Think about your kid. Think about your teenager. I think about Junior. And and he's going Saturday. It's really cool because my, my mother has, she went in on that pick three. And she's taken uh, my nephew Davis, my nephew Dixon, and, and Junior. Uh, they're all going with uh, with Joe Mama to the game. And that's, that's an experience that my brother and I and my mom and my dad, we did growing up for years. We went to Nebraska games on Saturday. And she's kind of paying it forward, keeping the tradition alive with uh, the, the next generation of Schmidt boys, which could be crazy. So we are going to get her two flasks, one for each ankle, to put up with all three grandchildren. But in all seriousness, you've got a bunch of kids in this state that, for whatever reason, financial or just what's their home life like, what's their, what's their Nebraska experience been like, right? You may live in Nebraska, you may be from western Nebraska, you may be from southwest Nebraska, you may be from inner city Omaha, you may be from a rough area in Lincoln, wherever, right? And what's your experience with Nebraska? Well, you, you've seen them on TV. That's not always been flattering. What's your fandom level like as uh, a youth, right? Well, they've not won a lot. So this is a chance to to go experience Memorial Stadium. You've seen it on TV. Now you get to kind of regenerate uh, a, 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 a demo, a, a fandom, and maybe that hooks the next generation of folks that they they grow up, they make some money, and they want to take their kids to Memorial Stadium. But when it comes to underserved youth, uh, that's your heart's in absolutely the right place to do that. So that's special. That's sweet. That's that's uh, that's that's big time for what Nebraska's doing. On a larger note. The fact that the sellout streak has been manufactured, not the who, because the kids and the underserved youth, absolutely fantastic to to get them to the stadium. No problem with that. But you're manufacturing the sellout streak on Saturday. And it's not the first time, right? It's happened. It's happened over the last 20 plus years. At some point, somewhere, some donors had to step up and eat some seats, okay? How do you feel about that now that it, that it's out there? It wasn't going to happen, but now it's going to happen as a Nebraska fan. And in all honesty, as I look at Nebraska fans and I look at the, the ten to 15,000 that we bumped into at, at Champaign, uh, the, the bright side is you aren't traveling all the way back from Ireland after a 30 to 22 loss. The reality is, is you lost to a really bad football team on Saturday and it's a bit gloomy. So what now? Well, that's your vote, that's your voice, that's your protest as a Nebraska fan, right? When, when we talk about the sellout streak and how important it is to the fans, because that is a pat on the back, that is a kudos, that is a congratulations to you uh, being there, that big red army, man, being there every single game, every single Saturday during the fall when you could since pre-Kennedy, Okay. That's insane. That in a good way. I'm not. I'm not mocking. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not making fun. I think that's incredible. 
and and our family was part of that. Your family may have been part of that, going as much and as often as you could. And you were watching great football. You were watching great football for the most part. And now you're not watching great football. You have a chance to see a team improve and get better. And again, we're not throwing bathwater out. But this has been manufactured, and you have nothing to apologize for, Nebraska fan, if you don't want to go. Not telling you to stay home. I think you should go if you have a chance. But you have nothing to apologize for. You have nothing to to be sorry about. And if you've seen enough, had enough, uh, and, and you're just sick, not just on one game, but a few years here, pre-frost, into frost, and where you're at now, totally get it. Totally get it. If, uh, if that's what you're saying. And it might be. It might be partially the opponent, but quite honestly, I think a lot of it is you're, you're just absolutely tired of, of what you've been seeing. And you may watch it, you may go tailgate, but you really aren't that interested in, in going. And I think part of it's team performance, but I think some of it's the, I think some of it, a lot of it is, is the opponent. I'm going to try doing this and I may regret it. Let's go to John. John's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. John, what's your, what's your thoughts here? I was just going to call you, and my brother went down to pick up our football tickets. I just got my football tickets. And I was going to call in and say, I hope people support Nebraska. I am. I'm not happy with what's going on. But Scott Frost needs at least this year and next year before anything's done. Agree. Don't okay. disagree. Don't disagree at all. He needs two years. And I think um, I think his staff needs to to kind of get it kicked in gear. Not not all of his staff, but some some position coaches and position groups for sure. Yeah, we're not we're not the uh, we don't have the megaphone out asking for change. Saturday was really tough. They've got plenty of time to get better. Can they get more organized? Can get they can they get their crap together? And if they get beat, actually get beat by a team that's better than them. That's what I got to see. John, thanks for the phone call. 466-377-6800-825-5865. like to jump in here. Your take here, your read on the, uh, the sellout streak being extended. And, and if you are going to manufacture it, I think this is the way you manufacture it when we, we let underserved youth uh, get a chance to, to taste Nebraska football and see what they think, see if they like it, and see if it's something they fall in love with. And I think this is something I brought up whenever Nebraska had that three-game package, uh, saying, uh, why not let some kids get in there? And I talked about the drug-free pledge they do at the spring game, uh, giving kids discounted tickets, getting them into that spring game. Because I I still remember my first Husker game. I was a kid that, uh, when I was little, I didn't get to go to many games just because it wasn't always in the budget uh, to be Mm -hmm. able to – I mean, $50 for a seven-year-old to go see a Husker game. Sometimes it doesn't make much sense uh, to throw that in the budget whenever you – got to buy the kids clothes you got to buy the kids shoes i'm not going to call myself underprivileged by any means but it just wasn't always in the budget for me as a, as a middle class kid. it's kind of like going to an, an, an nfl game in, in a sense where you look at the price tag you look at the price point you look at doing the whole thing where you're buying soda and i'm not saying nebraska's unreasonable price wise no they're great compared to what you spend in a ball game in the nfl or M, M, or mlb but it's it's expensive and when you want to take the whole family I mean, you're talking, God, even back in the day, right? I mean, I wanted to go watch Barry Sanders, 1988, Nebraska, Oklahoma State. Great ball game, shootout. 
and it was it was a wild ball game. I wanted to go watch Colorado's '88 team. Those are two games that guess what? Dad was taking mom. Love you, but not that much. All right, so dad took mom and if i wanted to go i had to get off my ass i'm quoting my father and go sell that popcorn so i was i had to go sell popcorn for midget football did it got to go to both the games yeah i I remember for me um for a family of five to go it's 250 bucks plus you're talking drinks and food at the stadium or food before somewhere downtown and it turns into a 400 dollar day easy uh, just just to go down to a husker football game so i love that we're getting kids the chance to go because i still remember i mean my first game uh the the tickets were gifted to uh my father me Mm -hmm. my brother by a a family friend uh, john schleich shout out to john schleich for uh, for gifting those tickets i still remember my first game and i remember walking out it was in north stadium walking up in the gate and my first sight was an almost full student section already like an hour before kickoff and i remember thinking like oh, this is what they mean by the sea of red. Because I never understood it growing up. Because you, you watch on TV and you'd say, yeah, there's a lot of red there. But then you show up and you see just a wall of everyone wearing red. And I go, oh, this is the sea of red. And it still stands out in my memory uh, as being one of my favorite games I went to. Nebraska lost that day. We played Texas A&M. I think it was back in 05 or 06. Oh, you picked that one? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I still remember. No it wonder just... Mr. Schleig gifted you the seats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it was uh, right after the old Steve Peterson nuclear experiment. Yeah, but. But at the end of the day, it's, it's hey. still one of those things that stands out in my memory. It's one of my favorite Husker games because I got to go uh, as a little kid. It wasn't something I got to go do for another couple of years after that. But we got the opportunity to go and see this game. Uh, and it didn't matter what happened on the field that day because I got to go see Husker game. I got to go be a part of the Sea Red, and it still was special. And it's still a part of the reason why I, I had the Husker fandom growing up that I did. So you're the family that didn't leave at halftime. God love you. Oh. Definitely not. Nothing was was a beatdown. Let's turn our attention here as far as fixing the here and now. So maybe in future games, it's not going to take two generous donors with a a big heart uh, helping underserved youth. Let's hear from Matt Lubick right now. A couple of thoughts. We'll get back uh, and and go full Monty on, on this. But I thought Coach Lubick answered some pretty direct questions today. I think Coach Lubick sounded organized. If I listen to Coach Lubick with the game plan and I listen to Coach Lubick with what, what their, their thought was going in and the guy isn't BSing me. There's no, there's no excuse making for Coach Lubick. There's, no, this is what we were trying to do as a staff. He sounds very professional. I believe him. I believe that Hey, the intentions were to go win the game and not look like a, a bleep show. Now, push came to shove. You did. And, and you're part of that staff, and it's part of your responsibility, and he totally owned that. But if I'm putting money down as to who probably did their homework and got it right, I think Matt Lubick's probably a guy going into Illinois week that did his homework and got it right. You're not the head coach. So maybe what you put together, maybe that collaborative effort got edited and got edited wrongly, right? You hear about the cutting room floor when we talk about bad movies. There's a lot uh, that was left on the cutting room floor. And then, and then you get into the execution side. But uh, when it comes to the surprise by the Illini, here is Coach Lubick after practice today. 
Yeah, you know, we, we kind of, uh, and, and when you go into a first game, you're not sure what they're going to do. We did think they were going to be an odd, but we, we had a lot of meetings on, hey, what if they come out in this? What if they come out in this? And so we had, you know, we had another a, a call sheet for if they come out in even. And we actually used some of those, we used those plays, and we didn't have the results that we would like to have. But we had, uh, and then the same thing with the coverages, because you don't know, it's the first game of the year, they could change it, it was a new coach. So we had what we thought, you know, our, our best game plan would be if they came out in this, if they came out in this, and we had the ability to adapt. Because we, we met on that, you know, the whole month going in, because there's so much uncertainty going to a first game. And so, yeah, there were some specific things we had in the game plan versus that they didn't do that we didn't use, but, but we had enough other stuff. And then we also, you know, we didn't always execute it the right way, but we also tried to call plays that have answers versus multiple fronts and that, and that your kids know what to do and, and multiple coverages. Um, and uh, we got we got to keep continuing to do that because at the end of the day, you know, the, the defense can do a whole bunch of different things and you got to be prepared for it. And your kids got to know what they're doing and, and we got to be able to execute. Gotta have the answers. Lubick said, look, we had answers there. There was a second call sheet. And really, the O-line didn't have their best day. So part of its execution, and and apparently the uh, the second call sheet was was not as familiar with the guy calling plays. And we're back. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! A little bit of an audible, Hale Varsity Radio. We'll be sure to catch up with uh, Mitch Sherman a little bit later. We thank Jacob Padilla for checking in with us. Rick Kaczynski at one hour at Jacob Padilla underscore. Jacob, busy weekend of sportsmen. You're all over it. Can't wait for some of your thoughts on, on Nebraska football, Husker volleyball, and, of course, Isaac Trout. But uh, let's start off with uh, with some football before volleyball, Jacob. And your takeaway here, what was your gut telling you about Saturday with Nebraska? And, and what were some of your, your takeaways here with uh, Nebraska's inability here and then starting the season out 0-1? Yeah, I think it's just really disappointing that it kind of things were building up to this being the year if it was going to happen that – they were going to be able to fix some of these things. And it sounded like they they knew what they had to fix and they were focusing on it. And then they go out and it's the same old thing. So it, I guess just the, the overall, the biggest takeaway from that game is just leaves me wondering, do they know how to fix it? Does the staff know what they need to do? Because uh, obviously there are some extenuating circumstances the last few years where mm-hmm. came in, um, took over a team that was under 500 yeah, the transition classes. You at that time where you're trying to figure out, all right, what do we need to recruit to to uh, compete in the Big Ten? Now here we are in year four. It's basically um, entirely frost roster. He's had time to develop a, a lot of these guys that have been in the program three, four years, learning uh, under Frost and his staff. And they come out, and it's still kind of the same old thing uh, against a team with a, a first year coach. Um, so it's just that's I think. There was a lot going on in this, going into this game, because, uh, precisely for that reason. Like, if if they're ready to turn things around, we're going to see it in that that first game, and we did not see it. So, what does that mean long term? Mm-hmm. That's 
kind of tough to, to feel super optimistic right now just based on what we saw in that first game. Yeah, the, the old optimism meter got a lot of cold water poured on it. Jacob Padilla with us, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. So do you think Saturday was lack of preparation or more just uncertainty by the staff? Well, I think the the, the lack of preparation, uh, if you you were uncertain, that means you should have overprepared, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't know exactly what you're going to see, that means you've got to put in the extra work to prepare for every possible scenario. And that's kind of the, the, the troubling part about some of those quotes is it just doesn't sound like they prepared themselves well enough for what Illinois threw at them. And, yeah, it's, it's tough going into a, a season against a, a team with new coach, new coordinators, um, even though they brought a lot of the players back. But you've, you've got to be able – you should have been better prepared. Um, one, a, a lot, there's some stuff that you can do um, that should be uh, – uh, should not be scheme-dependent. You should be able to execute the, the little stuff, execute your base concepts, and then go from there. And then from there you, you, you call the plays that um, take advantage of what the defense is showing you. But – Right now, it just doesn't seem like Nebraska has that 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 base stuff that they do consistently well that they that they can run and fall back on. Um, so it's just kind of all right. We're going to keep calling stuff, and um, hopefully it works. Um, and it, right now, it's not even like some of the calls that they're making. It, it's some of it's working. The players just haven't been able to execute it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of where you get into the real problem, where you make the right call. And it produces kind of the result you want, but the players can't finish it off, whether it's um, not holding up in, in coverage long enough to, to, for the, the route to get completed downfield, or the quarterback not being able to finish the pass, or the receiver not being able to pull down the ball once you do get the ball there. Um, there's just too many things going wrong right now, and that's been the case the last few years, and it just, it, it's more the same. What did you think of the player rotation, uh, Jacob? With you know, Betts is somebody that's been on the on the go and and super talented. You got Omar that's that's there when he got in. Wow, I think Ma- Martin delivered as as well as advertised. Austin Allen, you know, didn't get targeted till late in the game. And I'm sure he was schemed to, to be taken away, or the Illini just did a good job of coverage. But point is this. I mean, Nebraska, you hear about all these dudes either running the football or the slew of receivers they have, and, and you still didn't see, I mean, Savion Morrison. You know, I know there was an explanation a little bit uh, by Lubick today, but overall I'm like, wow, this guy was going to take, the, take the, the first carry, you know, 10 days ago, and he didn't even get, get a touch. I mean, uh, they just still seem to struggle with rotation. Yeah, it, it is kind of strange. Um I mean, he's still the, – the running back thing is weird. I'll, I'll just say, at this point, we kind of keep hearing the same reasoning for why certain guys play and others don't. Mm-hmm. And I think now in year four, it, it's, it, it's just a bad reflection on the coaches, either their ability to evaluate or their ability to coach up guys when you've got less talented players on the field because they have supposedly earned the coach's trust or so they're doing everything right in practice while more talented players sit because they're not. Um, I mean, you, you had some guys out there that, that played quite a bit that did not produce. Meanwhile, you've got younger guys that um, 
supposedly that seemed more talented sitting on the bench and watching. Um, so um, that, that's just kind of it's baffling to see that time and time again where you think at this point, all right, you guys got to figure out how to get your best players on the field. And if they're not doing the right things, then that reflects poorly on you as an evaluator, as a scout, just, uh, when you went out and brought these guys into your program. And the fact that you don't have other guys um, ready to take those spots um, that were also recruited for that reason. I mean, you, you just got, I mean, try not to call any guys out here, but you've got walk-ons playing mm-hmm. um, in key rotation roles and aren't producing within those roles. So if, uh, I mean, if they do everything right in practice, but then it doesn't translate to the game, um, I just don't know that how that's any better than guys maybe not being totally consistent in practice. Um, so it's it's just tough to, to again we don't get to see practice, so we have no we just have to go off of what they say. But it's a it's a frustrating spot to be in for sure. Jamie to go to basketball here, uh, Isaac Trout, Virginia. What do you think won the day for the Cavs? Uh, getting uh, one of the, the just uh, an elite ball player from Nebraska. Uh, great size, tremendous touch, and uh, I know you've covered Trout a long time and you've seen him up close, and man, a lot of in-state talent uh, getting exported, uh, and this is another case in point in Virginia, not not far removed from a national title either. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of it, and they really did a great job of recruiting him and making him feel like a priority, and they were at all his games uh, this summer, basically, uh, during the live periods. Um, it, it just seems like he really clicked with Tony Bennett and the assistant coaches and um, the other kids in uh, Virginia's recruiting class. So it's just kind of a, a situation where all parts of it really clicked for him. Um, and I know he, I think he narrowed the, the kind of, the final group was down to six teams. Uh, he took one last look at Creighton on Tuesday before Wednesday deciding um, he he knew where he wanted to go, um, and obviously announced it on Saturday. So, um, yeah, he's it's it's hard to uh, um, hold anything against a guy that's heading to an ACC program again. That, like you said, won a national title within the last few years. And I think people hear Virginia and think, oh, all all all, all defense, no offense. But last year that that did change a little bit. Um, they averaged in the mid-60s as opposed to the mid-50s. And they had a guy like Trey Murphy come into the program and go in the top 20 of the um, NBA draft as a kind of like a 6'9 uh, sharpshooter. And Sam Hauser transferred in there uh, for Marquette. And he's, he's more of a wing. He's 6'6 or so about that. But um, kind of similar as a 3'4 type skilled kid that can really shoot. So I'm sure – those are the guys that they were kind of selling um, to Isaac in terms of what kind of role he might play for them moving forward. So it's not quite the same where um, they have been recently and how they won their national title. I think they're changing a little bit. They're trying to get more skill into the program without compromising um, the the defensive principles that Bennett's uh, system is built on. But um, I I think he'll have a, uh, he'll definitely go out there and have a good career. And um, sounds like he really enjoyed the campus and all that in addition to the people. Jacob, Nebraska still does have some uh, some high-level guys coming in for visits in October. Omaha Ballou, uh, Simeon Welcher, and, and then recently they offered uh, Parker Friedrichson. Uh, of these guys, like, where does Nebraska stand in their recruitment? There's some really talented individuals in that group. Yeah, and obviously that's all 2023, so um, still got a while uh, before we get to 
those guys kind of making their decision and really narrowing it down. But um, Nebraska is certainly kind of doing their uh, their homework, laying the groundwork um, to get these guys in, in that 2023 class. Um, I think we'll see here in 2022. Obviously, Trout was kind of one of um, their main priorities. Um, they've already got Ramel Lloyd committed. Um, so there's kind of a bigger guard uh, in that class. We'll see kind of what guys decide in terms of who's sticking around, what kind of um, uh, attrition there's going to be in terms of how many spots they'll need to fill for 2022. Obviously, the transfer portal will, will be a big part of that again. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think we've still got a, a little bit of time here before we really see them narrowing it down. But um, a guy like uh, Friedrichson, uh, just a really good shooter out of Oklahoma, and he's got family from Nebraska. He's got his whole family living here. So um, I think if that's a guy that they make a, a hard push for in that 2023 class, I think they've got a really uh, good chance of getting a commitment there. So we'll see how uh, kind of things play out. Obviously, they've made Blue um, a priority. Um, they've got he's going to come. Uh, I think I saw today that that'll be his only official visit before kind of the season starts. Um, he's going to check out Iowa State unofficially before he heads to Lincoln, but. Um, I mean, that's good for um, Nebraska that they're getting him on campus again uh, officially at that point. And I'm, obviously, five-star, top-five uh, player, they're, they're going to have to fend off um, uh, some quality programs and I'm sure even some professional opportunities. But at this point, it seems like they're doing all they can to um, kind of put themselves in a good situation in that, uh, uh, there with Baloo. Parker, last thought here about – sorry uh, – um, with uh, sorry, 15 seconds. I'm getting all stressed out in here. Um, but how important do you think it is Nebraska wins this season to keep these 2023 guys interested? How much pressure is on the coaching staff to get some wins? Yeah, um, big big season for them. This is kind of the year where they, they've got their guys in here. Um, they've established their system. They've they've kind of learned uh, about the Big Ten, and now it's got to start translating the wins here. The kind of the COVID season is in the past. Hopefully, won't have to worry about a month long. Uh, um, shut down or anything like that. So now's the time where you got to start seeing what they've been building, translating to wins. And if that happens, then um, I think that they're going to feel really good about their recruiting efforts moving forward. Jacob Padilla, HailVarsity.com and Magazine. Jacob, awesome stuff. Thanks for the time today, bud. Yep. Talk to you guys later. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on AFR City Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. So at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, the last five days for Bishop Sycamore, you lose to a Pennsylvania high school. That's Friday. Saturday's a travel day. Sunday, you get whacked on ESPN by IMG. Monday, you're now a national laughingstock. Tuesday, three opponents cancel. Coach is fired. The Ohio governor orders an investigation. Online and doesn't matter if you have gray hair, apparently. And, like, it's it's super crazy. It's, like, even crazier than how you described it. Like, the guys that were playing for this team aren't in high school. No. They're, 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 they're JUCO dropouts. No, they're JUCO dropouts. And it, it's kind of like the, uh, the cast of Saved by the Bell. Everyone uh, didn't have acne because... 
Well, they were in their 20s. Like, and, like the coach had an active warrant out for his arrest for fraud <laughs> because he took out a $100,000 oh loan to start this program up, which wasn't even enough to get the whole team like all equipped and stuff. And he didn't an even try to pay it back. warrant has been uttered on Hale Varsity Radio at 443 today. And then uh, in order to like, get more support, he affiliated this team with charities that didn't even know this team existed. So he just told like potential donors, like, yeah, we're affiliated with, with this charity. They're under us. These charities didn't know who these guys were and then to get these recruits i guess you call them like these fake high schoolers in the program he told them that there was going to be a netflix documentary on this team and that's that's, a recruiting pitch and that's why these guys better than a sellout streak it's like they went to these guys social medias and like these guys are like posting videos like catch us on netflix this season like all this stuff and it was all just fake and this is like there's going to be a 30 for 30 on this someday at least some sort of documentary Uh, it's it's unreal well in other ohio news quinn uh ewers he signed a $1.4 million marketing deal with GT Sports Marketing in Ohio. So uh, a kid that left high school early is now uh, $1.4 million richer. And uh, when it comes to some uh, NFL news with Huskers, Jack Stoll, good for you, mullet man. Mr. Stoll made the 53-man roster as an undrafted free agent in Philly. I am sad. But really not that sad because Divino Zigbo, Ziggy was released by Jacksonville, which means he can go to a team that does not suck. (laughs) So at least he's out of jail. Uh, and then we also had uh, Lamar Jackson being cut yesterday by the Jets, which made some waves around social media because uh, obviously started, the name started like nine or ten games last year. Yeah, but uh, the Jets really upped their their game at cornerback. They they were down a few injuries last season. They went again and drafted more corners in the draft. So obviously not the the biggest surprise there. I, I think he's gonna he'll end up somewhere. He'll end up somewhere. At worst case scenario, he'll end up as, at a practice squad somewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think he can end up on a roster somewhere somewhere that you know you're gonna have some cornerback injuries early in the season, and they'll they'll find Lamar. Jackson. Um, maybe it'd be cool if you went to the Ravens. I think that would just be really cool if there's two Lamar Jacksons. You got your MVP Lamar Jackson, then you got your defensive Lamar Jackson. Well, Farniak uh, also making Dallas. Yeah, and, and he, he did it, well. It looks like he might be starting come week one at the center position because uh, a guy we talked to at Media Days a few years back, Tyler Byadash, he was supposed to be their starting center, and he's out yeah, with an the, injury. Yeah, the Wisconsin right kid. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So yeah. he was supposed to be their starting center. He's out with an injury right now, and it's unclear. Looks like it's not looking good for him coming back week one. So uh, Matt Farniak might be starting NFL center uh, come week one for the Dallas Cowboys, which. What does that tell you about what was going on in Nebraska? Whenever it sounds like they have a, a perfectly capable center that can deliver snaps. Well, and Hymas had a good preseason with mm-hmm. with the Chargers, and uh, Boodle and Mills were waived. So you had some good highlight footage from not only Boodle but uh, but Mills, which which is tough. But these guys may uh, may find a way to to, to get onto a practice squad or. There's been a lot of Nebraska guys that have either been later round picks or practice squad guys that are versatile enough to find their way onto a roster. And so, I, I especially look at Boodle's situation in Kansas City. It sounds like he was one of the, the like the last guys to be cut. He, he was really well. fighting for a roster spot. Uh, he looks like a guy who I'm, I'm not going to put it down. I'm not sure what's going on within the Chiefs organization, but I'd I'd bet that he would end up with the Chiefs practice squad. Um, maybe needs a little bit more development. They have a lot of corners ahead of him uh, that they've invested some time and stuff into. So uh, I think he's a great practice squad candidate for the Chiefs. If not, he'll for sure end up in a practice squad somewhere. He had a great preseason. Stanley Morgan made Cincy. So that is good. So Stan had been kind of a practice squad guy and and, and also a guy that, that was on active roster. I know Seathan signed a decent deal 
uh, with uh, with Miami. So he's out of out of Cincy. So yeah, some news and notes for Nebraska football. Uh, you have twenty four hundred seats in total, in total, picked up here by the boosters. Do we have Trev Alberts ready? Let's hear from Trev here when it comes to the sellout street extension. And uh, you have uh, a really good collaboration, unlike last Saturday's game plan. You have a good collaboration here on how to get the sellout streak extended and get underserved youth uh, taken care of. Hello, Husker fans. Trev Alberts with you here and Dr. Lawrence Chatters. And as many of you are aware, we had some tickets available for the Fordham game. I know the sellout streak is really important to a lot of our fans. And quite frankly, it's really important to us as well. And so I challenged our senior staff with uh, some ideas and asked them to come up with some ways that we could move these extra tickets. And so Dr. Chatters is here to explain uh, his idea and his innovative approach to get more young people exposed to the Husker brand. Yeah, Husker Nation, you know, one of the most important questions in my household when I was growing up was, how much does it cost? That really drove a lot of what we were able to do. And I know that's the same for a lot of the people in Husker Nation, but especially some of our underserved and at-risk youth who are out there in Husker Nation, who have never had the opportunity, like some of you and I, and Trev, of course, to be here in the stadium on Husker Game Day. Now, what we know about this place on Husker Game Day is that it becomes the third largest city in the state of Nebraska, and we have so many people here from different walks of life that get a chance to enjoy this space. And what we wanted to do is offer that opportunity to our youth who may not have the chance to come here due to economic issues and some of their family members to come into this space and be a part of Husker Game Day. So we created the Red Carpet Experience, an opportunity that we are going to be pushing forward this game to make sure that some of our at-risk and underserved students in the community get a chance to come into Memorial Stadium and enjoy Husker Game Day. Thank you, Dr. Chatters, and we're really excited about this. And by the way, I want to thank a couple of our donors that have stepped up. Uh, we had some support, we had some tickets to move, and we had a couple donors that bought into Dr. Chatters' vision, purchased those tickets to provide an opportunity for young people. So uh, please reach out to Dr. Chatters. Uh, if you have any information that you'd like to have, reach out to us. We'll get it to you as quickly as we can. And again, we're excited about this new initiative. I'd like to thank Dr. Chatters for an outstanding idea. And uh, remember, as always, Go Big Red. Good work, Dr. Larry. Really cool. And uh, Trev getting it handled. The other social media hit today was uh, Damian Jackson. How chilling was that with Damian Jackson, the footage from the parade uh, when it comes to current and former service members, all first responders getting the acknowledgement to the shout out they deserve and you had uh, Navy SEAL Damian Jackson giving that salute in the middle of Havelock. That uh, the the footage didn't ever leak with this, but it was the unveiling of the uh, the 9/11 uniforms that Nebraska will wear against Buffalo. And you have a, a soldier with a Purple Heart that was injured and lost a leg, uh, putting a salute. You've probably seen it, but if you haven't checked that out on Twitter, and then it cuts right to one of the most electric humbling, energetic moments of, of Nebraska football history. That Rice game on a Thursday night after 9-11 with the first responders walking out. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. 
One final time this hour, Mitch Sherman, 10 minutes away from The Athletic, and then our sit-down Tuesdays with Kaz on Hale Varsity Radio. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and Connor Clark uh, sitting in. So a couple more thoughts here from Matt Lubick before we uh, wind down this first hour. And we heard from Coach Lubick here in the first segment about the, the surprises here. Mitch asked this question. We'll get into it with him here in about 10 minutes. But uh, specifically, it is about the, the downhill run attack. Why and what happened with it against the Illini? And is it something that can can get regenerated? Was it just talk or is it going to be reality with Nebraska when it comes to offensive identity? The, the one thing you can say about Adrian, and, and you know he's going to give it his all, and he made some plays for sure, and he missed some plays, and he wasn't happy about that. I, I don't think he had a lot of help. Is Nebraska going to keep asking him to to do everything? Or is there going to be some relief on Adrian with some other players, running game, wideouts, uh, offensive line play? Is there going to be some stress relief on Adrian? Or are you going to ask him to be uh, Jamal Lord 2.0? Here is Coach Lubick. Well, we always want to be able to run the ball downhill, and we weren't in that game. Part, I'll give credit to Illinois. You know, they, they did a good job. Uh, some things up front. We, we lost some one-on-one battles, and not just up front, but everywhere. You know, they, they won some one-on-one matchups. That because part of running the ball downhill is everyone's got to win their one-on-one matchup. So we, we got to get better at that. There were times that, that we did a decent job, but it wasn't good enough. Nebraska really didn't get in rhythm running the football. Clearly, that can't be. Uh, a reality uh, as they move forward in this season. They've got to have balance. They've got to have consistency. They've got to have some conviction to run it. They've also got to be able to do it and call 100 run plays in a row. And if it's gain a one, gain a zero, th- there's that fine line of, of knowing when to, to kind of move off of it or being able to throw the football to open up your run. Last thought here on this collaborative effort when it comes to put a game plan together, pretty well explained by Coach Lubick, but not executed by the coaching staff. Well, a big part of it, of calling a game, is, is, is the week and the preparation before, as far as everyone's involved in it, uh, the whole offensive staff about, you know, this, this is the stuff that we think we can do well, that we've done well in the past, or that we think attacks that defense. And so you, you put on a play call sheet, and then it's just kind of reacting to the situations. But really, everyone's involved into it. There is one voice, where, you know, where it comes out of the one voice, but everyone's involved in play calling, and then it's just a matter of going to the situations. And you rehearse it. You rehearse it all week long, so when those specific situations come up the call is already ready so I, I really think you know that, that the game's pretty much called before the game when the game happens is, is when you just do what you've been trained to do and, and rehearse it and that's when it comes out when the specifics now and, and again I'll, I think in play calling too it's we don't regret the preparation if, and it was still some of those same situations some of the same same calls would be called we regret sometimes the execution, you know, and that's when we got to look at ourselves as coaches. How, how can we get our players to execute better? Because it starts with us. thousand percent right there. It starts with the coaches. Either kids uh, got to be better or you got you have to get the kids to be better at what they're trying to do from an execution standpoint. But that was well explained. I mean, it was all put together. And then that one voice, the guy calling the plays – your head coach, who loves doing it and has been really good at it, needs to have a good feel. It's, uh, it's an intertwined process that, at least from Lubick and the, the other collaborators, didn't sound like they were skimping on their prep.
So, Mitch Sherman on the way. Rick Kaczynski, Hour 2, Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Thanks for spending time. Hour two at Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, and uh, Connor Clark uh, in today. We will check in with uh, Rick Kaczynski Tuesdays with Kaz in about 25 minutes or so. We say hi to Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. And it was awesome to see Mitch in Champaign and uh, great coverage with Mitch and the Athletic on, on all things uh, Nebraska. Mitch, thanks for uh, switching things around. Good to spend some time. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Good to see you in Illinois, too. Yeah, it was just a little bit of a deja vu roadie, wasn't it, with result, game plan, execution, well, result. Again, I'll underline result. <laughs> for sure. You know, deja vu a bit uh, in Champaign. I wasn't there for the, the was it a Friday night game in 2015 uh, in Mike Riley's first season, but there was some disaster that happened in that game too, if you remember mm-hmm. late in the uh, late in the fourth quarter. And this one was more spread out. It, you know, I mean, you can point to a moment or two. There wasn't one quite like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're talking about deja vu with the the bungles mm-hmm. of the the frost era when you when you look at special teams and turnovers, penalties. Um, those are all things that we didn't expect really to to rear their head. Um, I, I, don't, I, I just thought Nebraska was going to be better in those fundamental areas this year, especially in, in week zero, um, and it wasn't the case at all. Mitch, we're, we're right on the same page. And, and listen, it's not that Nebraska can't be better, can't get fixed, but you were expecting, at least uh, I think the, the fan base, I should say, was expecting a fix going into this week zero game after the buildup, the hype, the opportunity, and then, quite frankly, the pressure, right? So it, what, what are you going to show forward? And you showed a, a lot of the same ways you help a team beat you. And uh, we'll see if Nebraska can turn the page. Uh, I know Coach Lubick and, and Coach Janander spoke today after practice. I, I really appreciated your question uh, to Coach Lubick about downhill run game because that's what we heard about. We heard about running the football. And, again, Nebraska just never seemed to get – in rhythm running and then it turned into let's throw the football we heard a lot from coach frost about the the game plan we also heard i thought a really good answer as far as the prep goes from coach lubick about just what went into an odd or an even front right i mean you've seen it all in in college football and i thought lubick nailed it like hey hey, look man there's a play sheet for both okay and uh, it kind of comes down to execution for this team but it all centers on the run game to help everything out and that was non-existent again yeah um then i think you're going to like my story that i'm writing right now to publish tomorrow it's it's uh, all focused on the downhill run game and you know, they, they've got. They're on this. I think the players are on the are on the set, the right page um, mm-hmm. with with most of the staff. They want to do it. They're committed to it. Um, there were there were definitely times on Saturday when it it wasn't working as Nebraska wanted it to. Early in the game, they were running the ball some, mm-hmm. and then around the time that Illinois started to take momentum, Nebraska just went completely away from the run game. There were four drives, and these were these were 
coinciding directly with the period of time when Illinois went from down nine to two to up twenty, or I'm sorry, thirty to nine. Mm-hmm. In that stretch, Nebraska gave it to its running backs one time. So, um, you know, look, the the guys can be committed. They they can w- want to want to run the ball downhill, but um, if they're not getting the play calls from the sideline to give the ball to the to the backs, then uh, there's a disconnect. There is a disconnect right now. There, there was it was it was very much on display on Saturday in Champaign. Um, the only way to get it working is for Scott Frost as the play caller to be able to trust those guys to run the plays that they want to run, that they say they want to run. In that in that stretch, when Nebraska gave it to the backs one time in four series, Martinez was sacked four times, um, and that does not include the uh, the strip. Uh, that led to a scoop and score touchdown. So it was all going sideways right there. And I, I, I look at the, the, the plays that were coming in from the sideline as a, as a big factor because they, they say they want to be a downhill run team. They, they, weren't, they, weren't, um, they were not calling plays like a downhill run team in that period. Mitch, we've heard Coach Frost say, and this was early in his tenure, can't do it, won't do it. Right. When it comes to, to what, what he's asking kids to do, either they can't do it or they won't do it. Well, I'm going to flip it around. And is it that that worry that, OK, from a from a run game perspective, I just there's some doubts that Nebraska can be dominant with their offensive line in the run game. Do you eject too soon because you're not patient? Mm-hmm. Or, or situationally, yeah, you're down 21 because it snowballed on you, and you gotta you gotta make things up quick. Now, ironically, you, you scored the quick the, the quickest drive you had was the broken play 75 yard yard run yeah. that it was the Mitch Sherman special where you're in the backyard playing ball, you send everyone deep, and then you take off. But I mean, right. it was yeah, right. <laughs> right. I mean, he just just galloping down that sideline. But I just wonder what 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 is causing the hesitation. Uh, it's a great question. I I, th- I do think that they eject too soon. That they, it's that Frost ejected too soon on Saturday with the commitment to the run game, and you know maybe he was seeing some things that led him to believe it wasn't going to work, and they had to soften up the Illinois defense with the pass. I think that was the plan going in mm-hmm. was for Nebraska to establish the pass and, and and get Illinois off out of the box and and off the line of scrimmage, and then they would be able to do some things with the run. But, look, when they got into that situation in the second half where it was snowballing against them, and you could clearly see that Illinois was taking advantage of Nebraska in drop-back situations with all of those sacks and the hits on Martinez, they needed to find a way to slow things down and to move the chains a couple times and, and stem that momentum. And we've seen that with the Nebraska offense. For it to get in rhythm, it takes a first down or two. And, you know, it's easy in hindsight to say all they needed to do was grind something out, you know, a couple run plays. Maybe, maybe you, you, know, you insert Savion Morrison if it wasn't working with Gabe Irvin the way that you wanted. And I thought Marquis Stepp ran it okay when he was in. You know, they used Ramir Johnson late in the game. Maybe he was an option that you could have went to earlier in the game if they liked um, the way that he prepared during the week. And interestingly, when they put Ramir Johnson in, with nine minutes left in the game and then went on a 90-yard drive that took 17 plays and used too much time on the clock. It was like almost seven minutes a clock. 
Um, they were committed to the run on that drive. And that was a strange drive to be committed to the run because it was one where you, you couldn't afford to, 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 to bring the clock down the way that they did. But they ran it to the back seven times on that drive um, in comparison, like I said, to That's one crazy. time on four drives. That's yeah. crazy. You're down two scores, time's ticking away. Yeah. And, and then they run it as the element of surprise, I guess. Like, no time, where... Yeah, no, no timeouts were used there. Um, you know, they were saving them for defense. And, you know, you saw the result was that when Nebraska did get the ball back at the end of the game, after using three timeouts and getting a defensive stop and forcing a punt, uh, there was less than a minute left in the game. And, you know, the way that the, that the passing offense had been clicking and had, or had not been clicking and, and, you know, throughout the game, um, it was very little chance Nebraska was going to drive 90 yards and, and in 50-some seconds make a two-point conversion, send it to overtime, and win it in overtime. I mean, that, that, at that point, it was, um, it was pretty much lost. Yeah, and, Mitch, I also found it weird that on that drive, Nebraska gave the ball to Ramir Johnson, who hadn't seen the field yet on the entire day, but that was his first series, was probably the most important series of the game. I, I found that very strange. Um, but I, I also think part of this argument is, is the offensive line didn't have the best day. Uh, they weren't getting the kind of movement that we had heard that they were getting out of fall camp. Uh, we had heard a lot of good things. This is a very physical line. Uh, this was a line that, while it may not have had uh, as much experience as lines passed, that it played like it had more experience than it did. Um, but they were getting beaten by pretty simple blitzes, and uh, that they weren't getting the kind of push we expected. Is this uh, a result of going up against uh, a Brett Bielema team that really emphasizes the lines of scrimmage, or did that offensive line just have a, a bad day? Well, I think Illinois is pretty stout up front on defense. It's probably the, the strength of their entire team. There's experience um, and some, some big guys who can make plays up there. I, I don't think you're going to see throughout the year that they'll shut down the run um, against a lot of Big Ten West teams in the way that they did against Nebraska. I mean, the quarterback run game was effective, and, and the stats looked okay for Adrian because of the 75-yard run, and that's, that's great. That's part of it. You know, he gets credit for that, absolutely. But uh, the running backs, 54 yards on, on 19 carries, that's not, that's not enough. Um, it's, not enough it's not enough opportunity. It's not enough yardage. It's not enough commitment to, to being the kind of downhill team that they, they say they want to be. I think with Ramirez, um, and I asked this question to Matt Lubick today. Um, he's somebody that they trust in pass pro. They knew they were obviously going to have to throw the ball and couldn't afford sacks on that last drive. And they, and they didn't. They didn't get sacked um, on that last drive, I don't, I don't believe, in 17 plays. And, and he's a guy of, of your backs who he knows the whole offense, um, and, and he can catch it out of the backfield. I think Gabe Irvin can catch it out of the backfield, too. I don't know how comfortable they were throwing it to a true freshman in that situation. So um, I understand – uh, going with Vermeer there. Uh, maybe you should have done it um, at the end of the first half uh, when when you had the, the drive that ended with the, the scoop and score. Maybe that would have been a time to, to get Vermeer in. It would have made a little bit more sense there uh, in getting his feet wet than putting him in you know, when it was a must-score situation down 14 um, in, the, in the fourth quarter. But there's just a lot of things to question about the way that Nebraska played offensively. And you know, above all of that, um, I would say – uh, what I looked at with this team going into the season, and a key question that I had was, is Nebraska going to let its defense win games? You know, I put special teams in that category too, and obviously the special teams was was terrible uh, on on Saturday, and and I, I don't know that the defense could could have won it by itself. It's going to need help from the special teams, but I really felt early in the season that Nebraska was going to have to to allow its defense and special teams to win games, and. That's not the kind of game it played. Um, it made mistakes in a lot of areas, including a big one on defense with Caleb Tanner's mm-hmm. penalty. 
um, that that ultimately were deciding factors in this game. But um, I, you know, I really wondered if, if Scott Frost was going to coach this team differently, like in a way that allowed his defense special teams to go out there and, and get Nebraska victories and, and kind of the way that you see from Iowa and Wisconsin, but um, that did not happen in the, in the opener. Mitch Sherman's with us from the Athletic Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, follow Mitch on Twitter at Mitch Sherman. Mitch going to flip it over and, and talk sellout streak. It's been extended. Two donors have stepped up. You have the, uh, the situation where underserved youth uh, from around the state will get a chance to have their, their first Husker experience. I think that's tremendous. Where do you mm-hmm. sit here with the, the sellout streak? I think the way they're doing it is really awesome, and it's so compassionate, and it's, it's, it's so cool. So I have no, no problem with that. The other side of it is Nebraska fans, if they weren't going to spend their coin for the, uh, the remaining 2,400 seats, do you look at it as, as opponent, or do you look at it as just mood, general mood of, of, of frustration um, and and dis, displeasure with with where the the program's at right right now. How do you how do you view what's gonna happen Saturday? Yep, three seventy six versus yeah. had someone not stepped up the streak the streak end. All, all of the above, and I mean, great for it's a great it's great for Nebraska to be able to to mm-hmm. provide that opportunity for those kids, and I mean, really for the the donors who who stepped into that role because Nebraska couldn't have done this on their own, or they weren't you know they were gonna. Yeah. They were going to sell the tickets. They were going to do everything they could do to sell the tickets. That's, I mean, it can't be a sellout if you give tickets away. So, um, nice. It's a nice storyline for sure that they're able to extend the streak this week. But it doesn't change the overriding narrative and the reasons why there were still tickets available for the home opener in the first game with fans allowed back into the stadium since 2019. Um, you know, this, this despite being an FCS opponent, should have been a hot ticket. Um, first game of the year. Again, it's been a long time since fans have been there, and, and obviously it wasn't um, in, in, in relative terms. It wasn't as much of a hot ticket as what you typically see. Um, and I think that's, yes, it's because of uh, the, the performance on the field. It's because of the mood around the program. It's because of um, just the changing experience and watching college football that fans have nationally. You know, it's more enjoyable, I think, for most people to watch at home and be able to follow along on their phones um, than it is to sit in the 82nd row of the South Stadium or the North Stadium. Um, it's Memorial Stadium, I, I think, needs um, some some changes uh, with mm-hmm. with the way that the seed, seating is structured, and I, I think that'll that will come. Trev Alberts will do that, but obviously, it's not something you can you can do here this year or certainly for the for the home opener so i I don't know where it's going to go from here i mean if if nebraska plays rebounds from from saturday and plays well this year then sure they'll probably sell everything out once they get to big 10 play you know you got to get through next week too against buffalo um but uh if they don't and this is uh this is a really difficult season like in the in the vein of 2007 or 2017 then you know we may see that thing in this year still even after the uh, the effort to step up that that uh, we saw today, Mitch. Less than a minute, but how fragile is this team? Not necessarily for for Fordham, but overall, what did Saturday take out of them? Well, you saw what happened after the big play with Tanner getting flagged twice, and I think Nebraska had all the momentum right there with with Cam making the pick on that play. And if that stands and that momentum swing doesn't happen, you know Nebraska may have won that game by fourteen to twenty points, and instead they're down twenty one. Um, you know, heading into the fourth quarter or close to that point. So that's, yeah, that's fragile. That's not something that happens to 
a team that has a lot of mental toughness and fortitude and understands how to win. So they're still in that spot. They're still fragile. They're, they were a better team, more talent than Illinois. But I, you know, I guess you, when you say better team, you have to take that into account too. So that's probably an unfair statement mm-hmm. to Illinois. They weren't a better team because they they had that 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 swing there in the in the second and third quarters. So um, yeah, they're 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 fragile, and uh, you know I, I would think that's going to be a a tough thing to get past until they win uh, until they win a game they're not supposed to win and overcome some real adversity then then uh, that's that's going to be a major concern for this group mitch uh, great stuff man can't wait to read your story tomorrow with the athletic at mitch sherman on twitter mitch we'll get caught up again we'll see you this weekend but thanks for the time all right thanks chris all right mitch sherman good to hear from him uh we'll sit down with kaz Rick kaczynski former defensive coach nebraska and iowa a tuesday with kaz next on hail varsity and we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's another Tuesday with Kaz. We welcome in a longtime defensive line coach at Nebraska and Iowa, Rick Kaczynski. Kaz, uh, well, it's week one. We'll get to week zero in a minute, but a, a slew of great ball games. How you doing? Ah, doing great, man. Can't complain. So, just leaving, uh, just leaving Herschel Walker and George Rogers. So, uh, as a as a football fan, growing up, kind of hard to beat that. You know, rubbing shoulders with two Heisman in the uh, <laughs> in the same room is pretty pretty neat, man. So, trying to get trying to get Herschel going here for Senator in Georgia. So, trying to do as much as we can to get him going. So, Kaz, uh, how would things work? I know Herschel's pushing 60. Could we see, just for, for fundraising purposes, an Oklahoma drill between Kaz and Herschel? Herschel Herschel's going to win now. He's still doing – he he said uh, he said he's doing 1,500 push-ups a day. Oh, is so that it? He's got me. Yeah, he's got me by about four – 1,490 right now. So he's, he's amazing. I think I sent you the picture. Yep. I mean, imagining trying to tackle these two guys going downhill. I mean, George Rogers is just a freak of nature. I mean, those two guys, that's when running backs were running backs and carried the ball 40 times a game on old turf with asphalt underneath and uh, didn't say a word, just kept trugging. I mean, that was – just two, two of the best to ever play the game. So, but oh, you should see Herschel. Herschel, you would have a hard time finding a better looking back at a Power Five school right now than Herschel Walker looks at age sixty. Oh, and he's—I mean, he's like ageless. He's looked—he looked, you know, twenty-five when he was running the ball and leading Georgia yep. to a title as a as a freshman, mind you, and then he won the Heisman a year later. Uh, Rodgers won it in the late 70s, an incredible back. And you're right on about that era of running backs where you had Sims and Earl Campbell and Rodgers and Herschel. And, man, I, I mean, I, I wasn't, wow. wasn't around oh. for uh, some of that, but I remember watching a lot of the highlights, and they were pretty awesome. Oh, Rozier. I mean, yeah. can't leave him out. You no, kidding me? Michael Heisman. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I met him. You know, he's he always – what's kind of cool is these Heisman guys, they do charity events in their hometown. So it's kind of a cool deal. All these Heisman guys help out each other at those charity deals. So uh, 
very, very, very fortunate to uh, to uh, to know George, have that privilege, and um, it's just amazing. What, what an unbelievable group of unbelievable group group of guys. But uh, had to move George's function down to Atlanta because. Yeah, the Colombian nightlife just quite ain't, isn't as good as Atlanta. So uh, his his participation from former Heisman uh, single the single uh, former Heisman Trophy winners was was starting to dwindle, uh, dwindle down. So uh, this year was the first year they had it in Atlanta, and it was an unbelievable event. But uh, what a you know to rub shoulders with those guys, it's just 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 unbelievable to you know just put you back. Put you back in that fan mode, you know, mm-hmm. when uh, when you when you loved football at its at its purest, and watching it on TV, and going out in the yard and playing catch with yourself. I mean, that's uh, it's unbelievable seeing those guys. Rick Kaczynski with us a Tuesday with Kaz Heisman uh, greatness. Uh, hanging out with Kaz, that's a pretty good story. Kaz, uh, we got to talk Illinois, Nebraska, and. As we turn the page to uh, the, the two non-con games and then Oklahoma looming, you know, a lot on the line for Nebraska last Saturday. We made the roadie to Champaign and got back Sunday and just too many mistakes for Nebraska. I thought the defense played pretty well. What, they weren't perfect, obviously, but the offense still inconsistent. You still had uh, big-time issues on special teams. And I want to get your take uh, when you go into that unknown, specifically if you're if you're trying to put a game plan together, and you've done it on both sides of the football, offensive line and defensive line, you know what? When it comes to contingency, and that that was the big talking point yesterday. Some of the comments Coach Frost made about what they prepped for versus what they saw, and then that turnaround time with adjustments, and then you factor in execution. But your overall takeaway from what you saw, or or at least some of the highlights you checked out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll do respect. I, I mean, that's, you're you're a power five football coach. You know, you, you prepare for everything. Your your system's your system. Shouldn't matter what looks that you see. You're always going to adjust, even if people run what you see on film. There's always a little wrinkle here or there, and, and you know, with some staff, there's always somebody that has seen something the other team you know no football has and nobody's coming up with anything new in football um and you know brett brett's been a 4-3 guy his entire career going back to iowa as a player with bill brazier and kansas state with snyder and and barry being a 4-3 guy um you know, I understand the Missouri guy might be three, four. It, it, it really, it really doesn't matter. You can call a defensive coach right now, uh, or an offensive coach, and say, "Hey, you know, what hurts? What hurts the three, four? What hurts the four, three? You know, what routes you run versus quarter, quarter, half? Uh, you know, you can go to an offensive coach and say, "Hey, what, you know, what do you like versus three, four? What runs? How do you protect it? And, and if you're on the power five level, you should be able to make those adjustments. So, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, sometimes you're just better off saying, hey, we got to coach better and, and, and move on. Um, you know, that's, that's my two cents, you know, from a guy who hadn't coached in seven years. It's real easy coaching from my couch these days. I got every single answer. Um, but that's just, that's just my take on it. Um, you know, if that worked, you know what, like, 
like I always said and the coaches I've always been around, if they show you something that you haven't seen before, it's not like they're real good at it or mastered it yet. So it works on both sides of the fence. Rick Kaczynski's with us, Hale Varsity Radio Tuesdays with Kaz. I want to talk about trust for a second. Your job as a coach is to get your kids ready and put them in the best position. And just from a kind of a deer in headlights look, it never looked like Adrian got got comfortable. He kept competing. Uh, you had the strip sack that was a major killer. We're wondering about his his health. You know, just his arm strength when it comes to throwing some certain routes. And and we could be all wet with that, but it just he just looked. Completely out of rhythm, Kaz. You you laid out perfectly last week just how important rhythm is, right, on offense and getting your quarterback in rhythm. I mean, it was right on the money, and, and Nebraska really never got in rhythm. I'm interested here to, to kind of get your thoughts. You know, if you prep guys for a certain look and and you're human, you're wrong, uh, it's really important to, to get them – settled in and settled down with, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I don't know how well or how quick that happened Saturday. No, and I think you only have to look as, as far as, as Illinois. Um, you know, they're, what, 12 minutes in the game, and they, move, they lose their first, first string quarterback. And I think you, what you saw, you saw a head coach and a staff helping their quarterback. You know, it, they didn't give up on the run game. Um, you know, they wanted to take some pressure off the quarterback, and that's what I've never seen Nebraska do. And and and, Chuck, and Schmitty, you know me. I, I am pro coach, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I stand up for coaches all the time. I always give coaches the benefit of the doubt. But what I've yet to see is them help Adrian. You know, it just seems like everything is on his shoulders. And when things started to hit the fan, you know, what what are you hanging your hat on other than him trying to make a play, right? I mean, uh, you, you look at the running back. You know, who's your running back? Nebraska, I mean, once again, I mean, we're talking about Heisman Trophy winners. You look at the backs Nebraska has had over the years. Who's Nebraska's back? And why don't they have a guy that everybody in the country – should know his name. It's Nebraska. And I don't I didn't understand the rotation. You know, how are you gonna get a guy in a rhythm if he plays a few snaps here, then you don't see him again, and then a guy you didn't see in the first half all of a sudden, you know, gets like nine carries in the second half. And and you know, I, I'm I'm sure my, my accuracy off those numbers are a little bit off, but that's that's the feel for it. And um what I to defend Adrian a little bit, obviously he missed some throws. You got to make as a four-year starter. You have to make those throws. But when you don't make those throws, and you're having a bad day, and you're on the road, and the crowd's fired up, and you got a, a new head coach and a new team that's just they're juiced up, what what are you going to do to to rein it back in? You know, and and what's what's Nebraska's answer? And to me, Nebraska was just more of the same thing. Put it on Adrian, you know, make a play. You know, at that point, you wanted to see him hand the ball off, hand the ball off. You look at those first two series, first three series with Illinois, first down punt, first down punt, you know, three and out punt, fumble. Okay, man, turn the ball over. Um, Man, what, what you have to do 
like we talk about rhythm, and that's really simple. But it's not just quarterback rhythm. It's offensive coordinator rhythm. It's offensive line rhythm. And I, I don't. I think when you look at Nebraska and you compare it to Illinois, Illinois staff did a much better job protecting their quarterback, compacting the game and the plan for them, knowing what he's capable of doing, giving him some easy throws, and keeping the defense off balance and taking, you know, you know, putting them in position to to run the perfect play, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's what I saw Illinois do, and I just didn't see any changes with Nebraska. And uh, you know, when you're a Power Five staff, when you're a Power Five coordinator, got to be you got to be able to help your guy out. You know, I mean, you heard Brett, the one guy he said he was afraid of was number two, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's a reason. Yeah, I talked to guys. In the Big Ten, I still, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are still coaching from when I was there. They, 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 are, they are afraid of Adrian because, of, because he can throw when he gets in rhythm and he can hurt you with his legs. So, you know, uh, you know that's, just, that's just my take on it. I just didn't see a whole lot from Nebraska staff sitting from my couch from Lexington, South Carolina, watching it on TV with all the answers. I just didn't see a whole Adrian getting a whole lot of help from that sideline. Good stuff with Rick Kaczynski. More with Kaz a Tuesday with Kaz on Hale Varsity Radio. Former Nebraska defensive line assistant. Also at Iowa, Dan Wetzel going with the steel chair off the top rope with Nebraska extending their sellout streak. Uh, the national media continuing to get in the pinata line. More from Kaz. As we talk Nebraska, Illinois, it's Hale Varsity Radio. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's another Tuesday with Kaz. And, and Coach, I, I saw a lot of Adrian throwing off the back foot under pressure, so I want to ask briefly about the offensive line, um, but I guess more the Illinois defensive line. Did you see them bringing any unique pressures that would be tough to pick up in a week one, or, or was this just the offensive nah. line having a bad game? No, nah, I just think it was just, just, a, just a bad game. Uh, I, I, I'm, you just there, – there's – you know, quite frank, there's not a whole lot. There might be a pressure here and there that you didn't see, that you didn't practice against, or a guy coming here or in disguise. But, you know, once you're on this level, your linemen, they're reading safety structures. They're looking out over who's the slot. They know where the pressure's coming. You know, your, your protections are designed. Uh, you know, you may not – the guy you're over may drop out. Uh, you know, the guy in the A-gap may drop out, and the guy may come from, from depth in the B-gap. So – you know, usually it's a man side, a zone side. You got guys double read. There, there is a way to protect everything that you can see. Now they might get you once, but you come on the sideline and you get it all figured out, and that's the coach's job. But what I saw, it wasn't anything special. You know, they got they got with you know on a uh, it's a U game, the three technique going upfield and picking, and then the, the end wrapping around in the A-gap, and they ran a three-man game with a linebacker. That, that's elementary stuff. Um, you know, a lot of it, from what I saw, once again, on a TV, pausing, on a, on a DVR, you know, what, what I saw was guys out of position, leaning over, things like that. When they got home, it wasn't because of pressure. When Illinois got home, it was guys beating blocks, quite frankly. 
Rick Kaczynski's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Guys, defensively, uh, Nebraska's uh, front did decent. They got initial pressure. Was that kind of – was Illinois able to adjust or just be better at technique? Because Nebraska's pressure – uh, kind of dissipated after midway through that second quarter, and biggest play of the game was was Tanner smoking the quarterback and getting the 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 the, the personal foul penalty, and of course the taunting and that negated the interception. Yeah, well, you know, I thought they came out with a lot of juice. Uh, obviously, you know, the first the first game, both teams are going to come out fired up, um, game of momentum, and, and it's how you handle how you handle those situations you know every, at some point during the game both teams are going to handle have to handle adversity um you know i thought i thought the the defense came out really juiced made some plays got them behind the count and got off the field that's exactly what you wanted um you know the turn of the game was was that penalty uh unfortunately that's the rules i mean do i like it absolutely not but that's been the rules for a while you can't do it and then you give them you give them three first downs mm-hmm. uh and it, and it kills you you know i mean you, you're up nine to two and you get the ball back after a pick now your side sidelines going everybody's fired up you know probably take a shot you know you're going to get a little bit more aggressive with your play calling your old lines running out there with uh Okay, man. You know, we we got an opportunity to take over this game, and then it just you just totally flip the script. And but but there's still opportunities for that to, to recover. Um, you know, I, I thought I thought you got to remember too. Now, you know, this is Illinois. Okay, this is in Oklahoma, and that wasn't Le'Veon Bell in the backfield. That wasn't Sean Green or Melvin Gordon, right, uh, or Taylor in the backfield. I mean, he had a guy who's a good, solid back that was on spring break when they asked him to come back and play when Brett got the job. So, I mean, this wasn't a, you know, what, what was, what I saw, I thought it was a pretty underwhelming performance mm-hmm. on the defensive side. I saw the defensive line getting cut off on the backside. That's what I saw. I saw it here. I'm getting a little stuck in a little traffic. I apologize. You're good. But, uh, you know, I saw I I didn't saw I didn't see guys step up make a play. That's a defense that has two captains on it, and you got a 14 play drive in the third quarter. Nobody made a play, and you got a backup quarterback that at one point went 11 for 12. And there weren't many throws that I saw DBs contesting throws. You know, the guy caught it, turned upfield, made a tackle. You know, I just didn't. I just didn't see a whole lot. And then I saw some alignment problems. And that, you know, I saw a two technique, a two eye, an A gap defender, and a C gap defender fighting to the D gap with a safety at 11 yards deep. You know that. I, I, in Illinois, checking the play into the B gap, like mm-hmm. you know, that's the things that's a little bit frightening. And what's even uh, that that makes me a little bit nervous is one man. I was really wrong about. I thought I thought I thought that was going to be the game where Nebraska starts to become Nebraska again. You know, I'm hearing this downhill, and and when you hear that downhill from the offense, that means that that's what the defense has been playing against, right? So they're getting off. Well, I thought there was some decent. Uh, Perform. I think Garrett Nelson's a great football player. 
Um, but to me, you got guys up there that have played a lot of football. That second half, that first drive of the second half was, was telling to me about what type of football team you're going to have, especially with having two, two captains on that side of the ball and allowing a team to have the ball for, for how long? For almost eight minutes and 14 plays. So that, that's what's a little bit frightening to me. And once again, guys, listen, obviously I'm not coaching any. My, my life is real easy as a coach these days. I'm, I'm, I'm right all the time now. Um, but I saw some alignment problems. You know, that touchdown on the goal line, that was a high school route, man. First inside, first outside, first vertical. And the hard part was figuring out who to throw it to, who, who was more open. And, you know, you've got their eyes on the quarter. But there's just technique things that I'm seeing that, as a coach, you just can't do. And they're very, very, very hard to correct. Very hard to correct once you get into a game plan school week. When you're playing week to week to week, there's a lot of things that I saw in that tape that you're going to have a difficult time correcting in a shortened week and as you start playing better opponents. And, I, you know, I, I know Brett's getting a lot of praise, and he should, and his staff. They really should. But that is not a good football team. That is a very, very, very average football team in Illinois. And that's, that's what's making me a little bit uh, scared to be a Husker fan these days, you know, and just kind of seeing what's coming forward. Good stuff from Kaz. We'll wind down, get his take on the sellout streak getting extended. Hail Varsity Radio Tuesday, uh, Tuesdays with Kaz. Reminder here that 1,500 crashes each year occur in Nebraska, and they're involving an impaired driver, driving drunk, buzzed or high, never acceptable. Law enforcement officers working every day to stop more impaired driving before more folks are killed or injured. If you're going to drive, don't drink. If you do drink, designate a sober driver or get a ride share. A DUI costs more than you think. Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Real quick thought on Dan Wetzel. Is, uh, he is not a fan of what Nebraska is doing. If it was about helping disadvantaged kids, they donate the money. Let them spend the money how they want. Let's not be able to buy PR that easily. Dan Wetzel, there you go. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rick Kaczynski with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Kaz, last thought, the sellout streak, a topic of discussion. It will uh, go on to uh, another week with two donors uh, purchasing the remaining tickets. The good news about this is the, uh, the red carpet experience going to provide complimentary seats to underserved youth across the state, so some kids that may not have experienced uh, Memorial Stadium, get to experience Memorial Stadium, but you're still having somebody step up and, and, and buy it because it's it's not the fans that are doing it. We're getting some kids in the seats, yes. some underprivileged kids. Yep. That's great. I mean, that, 
that's that's the great part of it, you know, getting kids in there that wouldn't be able to experience it. Um, you know, the streak's great, but, you know, to me, I, the way I look at Nebraska, Nebraska's fans uh, and their passion and their knowledge, Nebraska fans have nothing to prove, right? Mm-hmm. So I, the sellout streak to me, it just doesn't mean a whole lot, right? I understand it's a, it's a strong fabric of the history uh, and the pageantry of, of Nebraska, right? But I look at it this way. Fans have nothing, nothing to prove right now. Nebraska has nothing to prove as a program historically. Just like Notre Dame, I know Jack Swarbuck, the AD last year when they played Navy or a couple years ago, said that's it, sellout streak's over, you know, which I'm completely fine. And what, what, what's, what I'd like to see the people come to the game, you know, rabid fans, fired up fans, back in the team, um, you know, what you don't want to do is have to have a couple donors in the near future have to continue to buy tickets for the sellout streak. I'm more interested in the people who are coming, supporting, right, and and the experience that they're getting from watching Husker football, right? I mean, it, 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 to, to the fans, well, hell, to me as a coach, you know, it, it meant a hell of a lot more for me to be at Nebraska than the coach. I mean, I grew up watching – Nebraska, Oklahoma. I wasn't even in. I was just a football fan. Nebraska, Penn State. You know, it just means more. So I think people get a little bit too caught up in that sellout streak. I think look at look at things individually. What what does Nebraska football mean to you? And I know Schmidt, your dad passed. You know, little, you know, unexpectedly. You know, I, I know a lot of your memories with Nebraska football take you back to your dad, right? My yep. football memories take me back to my, my family. You know, that, that's what it's about. Let's not get hung up on the streak. Nebraska fans have absolutely nothing to prove. I could care less about three. I mean, who the hell else is ever going to catch 375 games? So let's not talk about it. Let's go win some football games. Let's go to the game. Let's make an experience. The team, the coaches, the players, they got an obligation and a responsibility to put the fans in the seats. It's not the fans' responsibility to go to the game. So as a coach, as a player, as a fan, that's how I see it. But, you know, don't get caught up in Nebraska football right now. When you're talking about the sellout streak, let's look at the historical, um, the pageantry of Nebraska. Let's look at game day. Let's look at the tailgate, the atmosphere, the games that have been played there, the players, the coaches that have walked the sidelines. That's what it's about. So, hey, that's great. Appreciate those donors. Get those young kids in the seat. Get some, you know, make them Nebraska fans when they're young. But let's go with some football games. Let's go get the fans in there because we're putting a product out on the field that people want to go see. Amen. Rick Kaczynski is with us. Kaz, always love it. We'll uh, get caught up again next week. Appreciate your time as always, man. You got it, my man. Thanks for having me on.